This is Ralph Carhart, the author of The Hall Ball, and you are listening to Baseball and Barbecue. Episode 91, 91? of baseball. <laughs> That's right. Wow. Of baseball and BBQ. Wow, you're jumping in. You, you're raring to go, aren't you? Well, yeah, of course. Why not? Tell who you are. I'm Jeff Cohen, and you? I'm Len Aberman, and I'm damn excited to be here. Damn glad to see you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, 91, when we get to 100, I think we stop saying numbers. We just say, Baseball and barbecue. We'll see. <laughs> All right. So, Len, Jeff, this is this. Yes. This episode is fresh off your appearance. Uh-huh. Let's just say second appearance on the Greg Rempe Barbecue Central Show. The Barbecue Central Show. Yes. And with this your time, host, Greg Rempe. And this time, we heard you. And you were fantastic. <laughs> thank you very much. I thank must you say, much. though, I must say. Well, thank you very much. I must say that you and Greg. Gave uh, yours truly a little uh, ribbing, you know, barbecue humor there. Yeah. (laughs) Pardon the pun. (laughs) Pardon the pun. But I hope now with this new microphone I have in front of me that I sound better and it's up to Mr. Rempe's standards. You know what? You sound awesome. Well, does it matter what you you say? I guess I have to know what Greg Rempe is going to say about the way I sound. You know, well... Let's let's see what he says. We're, we're going to see what he says. But are, are we we want to thank Doug Shiding, right? Yes, we do. Yes, because not all. So Doug Shiding, who will be with us on this episode with, with Grubs. Yes, with Grubs. Right. So this episode for everyone before we get carried away and forget who's on to let everyone know we've got part two with Grubs from Netflix, of course, but he's more than that. The guy is just, he's a personality. Yes. And and then, of course, we have Stu Thornley. Now, Stu Thornley is very important to the game of baseball because without Stu Thornley does, you couldn't do a game without him. He is actually an official scorer. He does the Minnesota Twins games, mm-hmm. but you know what? Every team, every game needs an official scorer, and his part is integral. Yeah, of course, because I mean, you got to know, you got to be told, was it an error or not? Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but his, I mean, his, what he does as official scorer is, is affects the, the statistics. Absolutely. If, if, yeah. St- if Stu Thornley, if, if a guy's pitching a no hitter and he rules a ball a hit, 
there goes the no-hitter. Right. He rules in an error, the no-hitter is still intact. So that's, a, that's pretty big because no-hitters are part of history. And it's and, not just that. Yeah, but he, yeah, absolutely. And he'll tell us all about it. Yeah. And yeah, we absolutely. also have a, a, guest, a guest host with that interview. Another guest. Could you, you, do, would you tell us or you want me to tell you? Well, okay. I'll tell you. It's one of our good friends and you can tell us who it is. Gary Mack. There you go. <laughs> yes. Yes. This is episode 91. And you know what, Jeff? It's been too long. You know, we release every two weeks, sometimes with bonus episodes. But I think the fact that it's, it's two weeks, we're excited. We've got great content for you guys. We're so glad that you joined us. I mean, a lot happens over two weeks, like you said. I was on with, of course, with Greg Rempe on the Barbecue Central show. You know what? What people don't know is that he took so much time with me besides the mentoring on this show, okay, which I've spoken about. He took so much time with me out of his, to, to test the microphone, to test the sound. He did it not just once because one time it didn't work, but twice. And, and we appreciate that because he helps us to promote this this show for those of you who are listening because you found us because you listen to his show we thank you and we hope that you'll stay with us we think we've put out some great content so we're excited about it yes and yeah you, your appearance on, on greg's show was was absolutely fantastic thank you and uh, i know that you have an appearance coming up right on mets musings with none other than gary mack it's the current right. episode yes right so that's going to be that when this podcast is released on Saturday, that episode should be out. Exactly. And will you be ranting on that about our very uh, beloved Mets? I don't know if ranting is the right word. I mean, I do get a, a little bit excited, but it wasn't all full out rant. <laughs> okay. Well, well, let me let me tell the people if they want to get in touch with us, give us a call at 516-855-8214. Email us at baseballandbbq at gmail.com. Our Facebook page and our YouTube is both Baseball and BBQ. Twitter, we're at Baseball and BBQ. Instagram, Baseball and Barbecue, where barbecue is all spelled out. Our website is www.baseballandbbq.weebly.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe to us. Although now I hear subscribe is not the right word. You have to follow. So follow is is not is now the word to uh, so subscribe, follow, do whatever you like. <laughs> <laughs> just just. Do it. Exactly. Like Nike says, or right, just do it. Do it. <laughs> All right. So, Jeff, without further ado, which I know you love, let's get the party started and start with part two with Grubbs and Doug Shiding. Enjoy, guys. Grubbs, I want to ask you about your personal when you go out and cook. I see you have a, a van or a, a trailer that you have grub You go out and, and no, no, festivals and stuff like that. No, no, no. I'd love to tell you that. What I do where I live, I sell sausage by the pound. If you're having a party and you call me or message me and say, "Hey, Grub, look, man, we got like eight people coming up to Georgia. They people rent cabins up here. We need, you know, a couple of chickens, a pan of macaroni and cheese. I'm the man for the job, and I'm gonna be cheaper than any damn barbecue joint town because I ain't got all that overhead." So uh, that's what I do, man. I do private thing. My main gig up here is I cook ribs to raise money to fight cancer. 
that's how the Grub Q got started. That's why I do what I do right here. And uh, I'll, I'll do anything. If you want to pay, lay, pay me to do a party for briskets, I said, look, whatever the brisket costs times three, pay me 300 bucks, you got briskets. Okay, she says. So, you know, I do what I do, man. It's like, it's just, I sell sausages, I sell butts, I sell whole chickens. And uh, I can only do 12 chickens at a time because that's all the refrigerator in the basement will hold. You know, I, it's not like I got a damn restaurant. So when I sell chickens, I got 12 chickens I got to brine. Because I always brine my chickens. So it takes me, it takes 24 to 36 hours to brine a chicken. And I only got so much room in the refrigerator in the basement to hold these chickens. So you get, when I sell, I said, look, grubs are selling chicken. I sell 12 chickens in five minutes, man. It ain't nothing. You know, if I, I could, if I could probably sell 24, but I don't have room to brine the ch- 24 because I don't have a restaurant. You know, and I have a big food tub that I can put these chickens in. I got eight gallon buckets that are food safe that I can brine chickens in, but I can only do 12 at a time. So when I do chickens, there's 12 chickens. When I do butts, I do maybe 12 butts at a time and I sell the whole butts, you know? So, and even ribs, that's, that's the whole thing. It's all about space for me. Cause I'm just at my house. I got, I got two freezers and an extra refrigerator in the basement, but I can only do so much, you know, yeah. but that's I, I, what I do locally, you know? I, I'm checking out your Facebook page, your Grubber Q Facebook page, and you, you recently posted something for HBT Smokers. Looks like a lot of uh, great equipment there. You want to tell us about it? Yeah, that looked great. My, my HBT Smoker, man, the firehouse, I love that thing. This is my second HBT Smoker. If you look at the pictures, the way I, I bought this smoker, the box-style reverse flow smoker, for this exact purpose of hanging sausages and smoking them. I'm telling you, uh-huh. it's a beautiful sight. It'll cook a whole hog up to about 100 pounds, okay? It's in the middle shelf. I can fill it up with 45 butts. Because I, I cook for the fire department and everything else up here, too. So, you know, it, it's all it, – it's utilitarian. But HBT, man, those guys over in Alabama is where they're at. They build reverse flow smokers. I know people up here in Georgia, because we live there, all Lang and Bubba and this, that, and the other. But HBT has been killer to me. Awesome. The guys hooked me up to my first one. I sold it after I got my second one. Gave me a deal on this one. And it's a hell of a smoker, man. It's a reverse flow, big box smoker. I opened both doors, got them three shelves stacked up. But I pulled them out, and I had rods made to hang them sausages on. And dude, because my goal, I'm trying to be the sausage sensei up here. If I open a shop, it's not going to be a barbecue shop, restaurant. It's going to be a, a smokehouse. It's going to be a sausage shop. Maybe I'll do hams occasionally, so some jerky. But it's going to be a smoke shop and takeaway only because that's what I love to do, man. It's fun to me, and I'm not going to work myself to death doing it. I'm too, I have too much fun doing it. I want to have fun doing it. Absolutely. I don't blame you whatsoever. Grubs, H- did- HBT is the bomb, man. Grubs, did you – did they uh, – I'm still hooked on the show. We, we, we go back and forth on this show. We go all over the place. So It's okay. Did you guys film every day or did they give you a break? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we, every other day almost. Okay, so I made it through five episodes on the show. I was there 12 days, okay? And there was one time where you had a day and a half off even because you, you hit a wall. I mean, there's a lot of pressure. You know, one day, then you film all day. For, I'm telling you, for anywhere from the lowest one might have been 12 hours. You know, so 12 to 17 hours. The next day you just have interviews and meetings. And then the next day you go back and start shooting again. And, but one day they gave us like a day and a half off because it was like, they was just trying, I think it was right before this, the sandwich tournament thing. 
So they gave you an extra day off, but it's just like decompressed, man. I mean, go hang out in the pool, whatever, you know what I'm saying? At the hotel, because we were in one hotel, the whole crew was in another hotel right next door to us. So, and you weren't allowed to have a car or nothing. And they had a gate watcher, whatever. I don't know they're called crew wranglers, whatever, but I call them the gate watchers or the mine keepers or whatever. They're sitting down in the lobby. So if you come down the hotel, you can't exit the hotel without them seeing you because you weren't allowed to just roll up and go where you want to go. You know what I'm saying? You had to get permission. Did, did, yeah. Did you have someone kind of tagging along with you, like a handler as well? You know, yeah, so that yeah, kind of went called, everywhere yeah, with you? Called, yeah, they're called crew wranglers is what they're called. And so, like, they would, yeah, they would feed us, you know, like, okay, a few times we all went out together and sat at IHOP or whatever the hell was around the hotel or wherever we wanted to go. But it was like at a blink of an eye, they said, okay, we're taking orders for dinner, what you want. You can order anything, any damn place you want, and they'd go get it for you. You know what I'm saying? And you bring it there. A lot of us ate in the conference room. A few people ate in their, in their hotel rooms, but down in the lobby. So we hung out in the lobby a lot. And afterwards, sometimes we'd be sitting around, we'd be share drinking out in the lobby, you know, as a group instead of, you know, in everybody's room. Because everybody had with their the crew, own room. With the crew wranglers there, too. Yeah, and the crew, there's always a crew wrangler. Always. I called always. the gatekeepers. Always. Always. <laughs> they went to the always. restroom with you. Did they go to the oh, restroom? No, with you? no, not oh. when you was at the hotel. <laughs> and when you was on set, we had one in the back corner that people could go to. But when you were sitting in that little tent while they was like judging or, asking questions or beforehand, you said, Hey, I got to go to the bathroom. They would have to walk you to the fancy porta johns they had on set, you know? Were you mic'd up in the bathroom too? And at, at <laughs> yeah. all times? No, once you got there, that's the whole thing in the morning. That's uh, Hey, you was mic'd. Once you got there and had breakfast, that was part of you getting there two hours before it started is you had to get breakfast. Everything had to start and they'd mic you up. So yeah, no, you were mic'd everywhere. That's yeah. Remember and, and that you, when people talking about watching TV and stuff, how they how they know that? Well, hell, you weren't a damn microphone the whole time you was on the show. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Tina said she said her I'm prayer. I'm covered in the up like a piece sometimes. <laughs> yeah. you, you couldn't say anything <laughs> until or said like who just left this thing. <laughs> You, you couldn't say anything until the short show aired, correct? I mean, you couldn't say. I mean, except your wife maybe, but uh, you couldn't say anything. Right. Yeah, right. I mean, we were not. That was all part of the contract. You did what you did. I mean, it, it, there's not a person on that show can sit there and tell me that their partner or spouse didn't know what was going on. Right. You know, it's not like they said, well, you can't tell anybody but your wife, but you just had to keep it. But, you know, I've been married 33 years now. So, it's like, you know, she knew I was there, you know. Yeah. When I watch those shows, I always think that the, the contestants are just praying that they're not the first one who gets eliminated. I, I, you just get that feeling. Nobody, I mean, obviously you want to win it, but only one can win. But no, but everybody's like, please don't let me be the first. Am I wrong? <laughs> well, I, yeah, you saw Shotgun went out first on that one. And you, and you had no idea, man. I mean, <clears throat> yeah, I, honestly, I, I didn't think I'd make it through as many episodes as I made it through. I'm, I ain't going to lie to you. I'm straight up, man. But, uh, I was amazed every time that I got through, you know, because if you watch the show and everybody can form their own opinion of how people felt about who or where I ranked as far as the judges went, and that's all fine to form your opinion. It's a television show. They made, you know why they made that show? To entertain people like you. And to yeah. get y'all's opinion to ask us to do it. It don't matter what people think about me. I could care less. 
okay? Because it's the viewers that the show was directed to. You know, it's not the James Grubb show. It's the damn barbecue, the American Barbecue Showdown. So let's thrill the people. And I was down with that, man, 100%. It didn't matter to me. And I took that the whole time on that show that it wouldn't matter to me. I got a little choked up at the end when I left, but it was so emotional because it was such a roller coaster. And the same token, you like, you're like, man, it's over. You know, finally you got a little breath of fresh air because it's, it's just, it's high intensity, man. It's, you know, it's, it's just a real deal. And uh, I'd have never thought, I mean, I knew Netflix was big, but I ain't never been a big Netflix fan that it would go to where it went. In my opinion, I never personally, you know, so I'm still to this day kind of humbled by it and I'm okay with that. I mean, I love living in my little hole up there in the damn woods where people don't see me. Can't roll. You can't roll up on my house. I can see you a hundred yards away. If I don't like you, I'll get the dog on you. you know, so. <laughs> but I like that, you know, yeah. but I had so much fun doing the show. Grub, uh, duck chiding is a, uh, a, a, comp, a champion barbecue competition. Do you do any competitions? I do. I don't do. The only competitions I've ever done are local competitions to raise money to fight cancer, which is a wonderful thing. Let me say. I mean, I know. That's uh, it, man. Yeah. But I've won them a lot. I've won them a lot. But you know, like I say, this is no KCBS. This is not like my rib got a bite through at a half moon mark and all this other nonsense. It's just. It's usually <laughs> the sheriff or the sh- or the com- county commissioner or maybe some local stock brokers or somebody. That's your judges. You know. And it's all about raising money to fight cancer. And it's, you get bragging rights and you get a little trophy for the year. And that's what it's all about, man. I mean, let's, let's look, take five rib teams. Okay. I put it together five little barbecue teams selling ribs at the relay for life in union County, Georgia. We raised $10,000, you know, so that's what it's all about, man. That's fantastic. Fantastic. Well, I've never done a KCBS competition. My kids have done a kid cue at one sanctioned at uh, Brasstown Valley Resort up here in Georgia, and they've won it with a perfect 180 score on chicken. But I've never, ever done one, you know. Grubs, when you're in the bottom two, and I, I don't want to ruin the show for people who haven't seen it, but I don't know what the statute of limitations is on a Netflix show. I mean, how, how many months have to go by before you... you, you I don't know. They're still watching it. Right? People are still just now watching it, you know. But, but I think pr- people pretty much know now at this point that you didn't win the show. So when you are when you're in the bottom two and and on the show that you lost. So two things. One, what's that feeling when when you're in that bottom two? Describe what you're thinking and 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 just what you're feeling as you think you might be eliminated. And then what about the one where you and both you and I uh, was it Sylvie? I think it was you and Sylvie, right? Yeah, we both got rolled through it. Right, and then they they decided. Obviously, they liked you guys because they didn't want you to leave yet, and so they said, uh, "You know, we can't right. have these guys out, so we we want you to be in the show." Right. Plus, you got to realize, though. Hold on, the next episode after that was the sandwich tournament, and right. you needed so many people to right. fill out the the, ah. the okay the bracket of the sandwich tournament. Right. Okay, what, what, so let's go with that. I'm not saying what, that's what it was. But, yeah. <laughs> but what's the you feeling? Me? It, give yeah. me where, is it almost e- even it's, number? 
Is yeah. it almost yeah. like relief or is it, uh, I mean, what, what are you thinking as, as you're standing there and, and how long do they make you, you know, uh, uh, wait in the wind and just, you know. Well, I'll tell you, this is the way it went. After, when they said time's up, we threw our hands in the air and that was it. They all, they came and got your food right then from your station. Okay, culinary came and got one, which is the pictures you saw, because the culinary, they would come and take one plate you made that was separate, and they'd go do what they did to it, and they'd take all these nice pictures. I mean, they, that's what they do, okay? And then the judges would taste your food, and we would have to go back to the little crew tent, sit back way over there. That's when you had to get permission to go to the basket like that. You couldn't just hang out there. And you would wait, sometimes an hour, hour and a half. You know, and then you come back and they're sitting there and then you do the whole filming thing where they're actually like tasting the food and shit. But you got to realize that's just way cold by then and stuff. So that that ain't even a true, you know, of what you serve because you just cooked all this food. And then an hour later, they're tasting it and giving you their critique. But it's cold, but they are doing their job. They're tasting it. And that's what they're videotaping. It, so you thinking they're tasting it right when we turn it in. And that's all fine. But I'm going to tell you, being in the bottom two, and I said this initially, didn't matter to me, okay? Because I, I didn't go in. I mean, I wanted to win. I thought, well, as an alternate, and I come in there, if I could at least make the show, I might actually could win this thing. But when I saw, honestly, when I saw some of the cooks that were there, I knew in my damn mind I wasn't going to win it, but that didn't mean I wasn't going to try. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I went in there gun-ho every damn episode, did the best I could do, maybe, and I mean, in hindsight, I've changed a few things, but as it was, like, hey, I, I came home every day from the hotel in the hotel, called my wife, said, "Damn, I'm still here. You just made another so much money per episode. You know, you make it, just do it. You know, because I thought I was going to go home with seven hundred dollars after four days, and it'd be over. And all of a sudden, the thousands start ringing up, and I'm a part-time grocery stocker in the damn <laughs> doing <laughs> health and beauty aids at a grocery store. So here I'm doing what I do with barbecue and making some damn money. I was happy as hell, man. So th- it didn't matter to me. <laughs> okay. I mean, you t- say what you want to say. First place when, when you lose was the first place is the first place loser. Okay. Second place is the first place loser. It didn't matter to me, man. I was going to go have fun. I knew that going in because I didn't think I was going to make it on the show. Sure. When I got the chance, I wanted to win and best these guys. In my mind, I was like, damn, it's going to be tough, though. I ain't going to lie. It was going to be hard because I knew who these people were. And uh, I didn't fit find myself on that same level. You know, so I was so much appreciative of just being there. I did the best I could do, and I had fun doing it. And that's, to me, the hell, I'm a winner. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Whether I got first place, second place, I saw five out of – there was ten of us that started – and I was like fourth or fifth, whatever it was. Hell, that's damn good compared okay. to where we started, you know. So I'm optimistic. That didn't bother me at all, man. I mean, you want to win, but I ain't mad about losing either, you know, because I had so much fun. And the opportunities that have afforded itself from being on the show is amazing. Being in the bottom two was tough, though, you know, especially on that sandwich. I ain't going to lie to you because – I just kept thinking I got to keep get beaten up on my damn sandwich. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? You know, but, uh, <laughs> sauce. I gave it, it my best sauce. man and I had fun too. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. You know, I know. Sauce. And I'm going to tell you though, I make, I make a killer freaking barbecue sauce. And that was another thing that people don't even realize when I had <laughs> that little crumbly sausage on that last episode, man, I freaked out and I went back and I whipped up a quick Italian barbecue sauce to go with the sausage trying to cover up, you know, the dryness of the sausage. <laughs> and I was thinking, 
And I got, man, all everybody loves it. I didn't show it on the show, but, and I said, damn, you know what? Because I'm not a sauce guy. I'm hashtag no sauce, personally. I think if you cook the meat right, you do a recipe right, you don't need no damn sauce on no way. Amen. But, you know, I was there and I, I made this sauce and I said, well, damn, I, you know, but when people tell you and they ran and rave about it, it kind of gives you a humbling feeling, you know, but I'm not a sauce guy. I make good sauce, but I don't put it on. I don't think my meat needs it if I cook it right, you know? I know after your, yeah, after your health crisis, you, you know, situation that you started cooking new, you know, different things. What do you cook at home? What do you eat now instead of the, the meat like you used to? Well, no, I still eat meat. I just try to cook, eat a leaner cut of meat. Oh, and you low know, salt. Less fat. Yeah, yeah. I mean, instead of having a ribeye, let's go with a, a tri-tip or a sirloin. Ah, you know, okay. and if, instead of having a pork chop, have a loin chop. You know, and then you don't have to cover it with damn salt and stuff. I mean, in my opinion, spicy and flavorful spices can do the same thing salt can do on your tongue. You know, when you when you bite something a tongue with salt on it, it's going to open your taste buds. It helps you enjoy the other flavors more. That's what salt does is it, it allows you to take in the other flavors. But there's also peppers and things do that, too, where you can put these yeah. on your food and substitute the salt and still have good flavor and enjoy the food. Ah, uh, are you making your own rubs then? You make your own rubs then with, a, yeah, with you know, because most commercial. I do, and I salt. hope to yeah. sell them one day. I mean, yeah, I do. And plus, I mean, I've gone through things like I love salad. I absolutely love salad. I might put an egg in my salad. I might put a little stuffed sausage in my salad. Or salad. And the sausage is good for you. Salad's great. It's the damn dressing you put on that's going to kill you. You know what I'm saying? So I've made... I've got like 15 or 16 recipes now of salad dressings that got no salt in them whatsoever, but they taste good, you know, cause you'll never get away from it, dude. There's no way you're going to get away from salt and, and sodium and sugar unless you want to eat like a cow, eat, go grass in the damn field. And that's all there is to it. So you have, it has to be a moderation, but I'm going to tell you this too, man. If you're cooking a burgers, okay. Hamburgers, let's give you hamburgers, ground meat in a bowl. Don't, why you got to put kosher salt or salt in there? Put soy sauce instead. You know why? It's got less sodium than salt does, and it's got more flavor. So you can mm-hmm. substitute a, a quarter teaspoon of or half a teaspoon of soy sauce to a half a teaspoon of kosher salt, reduce the sodium by half, and still and add flavor to the meat. You know, yeah. there's there's different ways to do it, but it's everything, and everything's got to be in moderation. I don't care. I ain't. I ain't giving, I got hot dogs I'm going to cook tonight, natural skin, no nitrate, but I got them wrapped in bacon. Okay, so my cardiologist might not be happy, but it's really, <laughs> really good. And it, but it's everything in moderation. You know what I'm saying? Everything in moderation. And there's no reason to turn it all off, but you can control it. And there's mm-hmm. ways to get the flavor out of foods. I think spicy foods can substitute salty food any day. You know, when I brine chicken, you know something about brine chickens, right? Salt, yep. sugar, water, aromatics. But I use half, the, instead of using a half a, a cup of salt and a cup of sugar, half a cup of Cajun seasoning. Because that uh-huh. has paprika, onion, garlic, and all that. And then use a cup of sugar. And I'd rather be sweet and salty anyway. But you're still getting the salt because you have to have the salt do what it does to the meat. Or yeah. it ain't going to work. You have to absorb. have salt. Right. You know. I mean, it's moderation, man. It really is. And I'm still down 35 pounds since my heart attack almost three years ago. And uh, I weigh 230 pounds. I'm right 190 now. So I guess I'm about one or about 40 pounds down. But it's all about, 
like the doctor told me for 20 years, grubs, because you just because you cook it don't mean you got to eat it, you know. <laughs> but it's moderation, man. It's moderation, you know. There's no reason not to, really, especially as we get older. You know, we ain't a, I'm, I, I'm pushing 60 years old now. I, I like to live for another 30 and barbecue the whole time, you know. Yeah. Hey, grubs, did you ever think of, as I'm watching the show, I guess uh, Melissa uh, kind of commented, did you ever think of doing a flat sausage? Because that kind of seemed to come up. But she was talking about the sandwich, and she was like, well, you know, flat, so- sausage, uh, flat sausages will work. Did you ever think about yeah. that? Well, see, they didn't. I'm going to tell you that straight up. I make, I make this plain. What are you talking about? Sausage with no, not stuffed in the casing. Exactly. Like a patty. Exactly. Yeah. But see, that wasn't the rule when they told us about it, mm-hmm. but it was actually asked by some of the contestants during the filming because they didn't want to stuff their sausages. So mm. it's okay. You know, you do what you want to do. Sausage is sausage. But to me, the only sausage you put, you don't put in a cake is a breakfast sausage. And you're having that with eggs and pancakes. Everything else, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, goes in a casing. That's just, you know, I grew up eating boudin damn on the side of the road for a dollar stick, you know, in Louisiana. So oh, it's yeah. got to be in a casing. That's sausage, you know. Grub- if someone wants to follow you on Instagram or Facebook, what, what's your uh, handle or, or, or address? Yeah, so what they call me online, at James Barbecue Grubs. That would be at James BBQ Grubs. And I'm on Instagram and Facebook that way. And I really, I'm, I got a YouTube channel, and I hope to promote that, start making more videos pretty soon. The, any videos that are on there now are short ones that I did to actually get on the show. You had to do so many videos when you were doing to get on the show and I've shared those, so those were the initial ones on YouTube, you know, but they're short. So you know, it's just like, you know, Brian and chicken. Yeah. We have a YouTube channel. That's also, that's great. Yeah. But it's, it's James Grubbs and uh, you'll recognize me. I mean, if people look at the pictures and see the profile, because ain't, no, <laughs> ain't too many other people like me in the world. <laughs> Actually, uh, I have a friend and you can be his twin. I swear. I go like, <laughs> I showed my wife the oh, really? show the other day, and I go, "Who does that look like?" And she goes, "Brendan." I go, "Yeah, that's right." <laughs> Not Brian here in New York, though, right? I'm sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> Not, no, because there's some guy people ask me before. Are you kin to Brian? Are you are you Brian's brother? What the hell? I don't know who the Brian is. I mean, I don't <laughs> there, but, no, I'm Grubbs, man. That's just me, you know. Yeah, I do yeah. me. I love living the life, man. I love queuing. And uh, I'm going to tell y'all, if you follow me, stay tuned because there's stuff fixing to happen, okay? And it's all because of Netflix, and I'm mm-hmm. appreciative of sale of it. And I'm just going to – I'm going to ride the wave, man. I, hopefully I don't have to, you know, stuff condoms and body lotion at the damn grocery store two days a week anymore But because that's what I do to health and beauty aids, man. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what I do two days a week. And uh, I got tattoos to buy and barbecue to do, so, I, you know, I got to make a living somehow, you know? Well, I'll tell you, Grubs, I would definitely watch a show with you. You are personable, charming, just really just fantastic to have on. We we have been uh, just big fans of yours on the show, but more than that, just very happy that you came man, on I, with us because you I are humble. I appreciate y'all having me, and, man. I yeah, really we, do. Doug, any and, final words? Oh, uh, I love the I love the grill, Billy, uh, and the grubbacue. Those are those are great great names that you have. Well, man, I got grubbacue trademark, you know, and I'm, I'm just a North Georgia nice. grill, Billy, man. I do what I do, and uh, I live up here in the woods. I like living in the woods, away from 
large crowds that's going on, and I'm happy with it. You know, I'm but I would not be where I was today if it wasn't for living up here and starting to cook ribs like I told y'all with the a, a relay for life American Society. That would I would have never got grub to where it is if it wasn't have been for that because I cooked enough ribs for around and sold enough ribs and raised enough money. People start saying, "Well, hey, can you cook this for us? Can you do this for us?" You know, can, and that's what started this all out. And it's a blessing, man. It's a blessing because it's so much fun. And then you, hey, Doug, you're a barbecue dude, man. You got to know straight up, man. It's like the smoke of the damn gods coming out. When when there's hickory in there and the sausages and I'm just standing there and it's like ringing on me. I'm like, yeah, man, that's my happy place, man. That's meat therapy. I don't need a, I might be oh, crazy, yeah. but I don't need a psychiatrist because I got a grill. You know, <laughs> yeah. when, when your jacket yeah, the next day smells like yeah. the, the hickory or, or that's oak right. or whatever. Yeah. That. That's right. That's when you know your job. You did a good job. Well, I love it. You know, I really appreciate you guys having me on, man. I'm glad we appreciate you coming on. Bubs. It was really fun. Yeah. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you. Best very of luck much. to you. Yeah. Y'all too, man. If you ever get down to North Georgia mountains, man, message me ahead of time. We can range a chicken or a butt or something. You know what I'm saying? Oh, we would love that. You got that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my friends. Y'all right. take care and be safe. Take care. You right, Thanks, Grubbs. Cheers. And we'd like to thank James Grubbs. I mean, I thought that was a he's a he's a he's a real character, a real great guy, and he's very generous of his time to take to talk to us. Yeah, he you know, he loves talking barbecue. He does so much with it. You heard him talking about how does the uh he's funds the cancer. Right, exactly. So just down to earth, really nice guy. And to have Doug with us, you know, to have really two pit masters on talking to each other, we really should have just stepped back and let the two of them just kind of pit master to pit master. <laughs> yes. It's really, but it, it, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And And Jeff, you know that on this show, we promote certain products that we really believe in that we we've had relationships with and one of them is baseball bbq baseballbbq.com we always say go there great barbecue grilling tools baseball bat tools you, you have to see it and we had the the opportunity to have a quick talk with none other than Brett Mandel of baseball bbq baseball and barbecue we are thrilled to welcome back none other than brett mandel who is one half of the team of baseball bbq sounds a lot sounds sounds very familiar doesn't it <laughs> we are baseball and bbq he's baseball bbq if you haven't checked out their website you've got to do it it's baseballbbq.com. we're thrilled to have brett back you guys are a big supporter of our show. We greatly appreciate it. So, Brett, welcome back to Baseball and Barbecue. So great to be here. Uh, great minds thinking alike about baseball and barbecue, and it's baseball season, barbecue season. Great time to chat. Absolutely. Brett, what's new with the site? I see a lot of uh, exciting stuff happening. Why don't you tell us about it? So I think the, the last time we talked, we had just rolled out our fork and spatula 
And that was basically what we had. You could get our little turn two combo, get the fork, get the spatula. We had some accessories, some cutting boards. We have a home plate shaped cutting board, which a lot of people seem to like. Uh, but we've now incorporated a pigtail flipper, a bottle opener, a grill brush and tongs. And now we have silver slugger sets and all-star sets where you can fill up your entire barbecue stand and be set for the whole season. Brett, you've got a, you've got a deal with Major League Baseball, right? So you're going to tell us about that. All right, we'll go in order. T- start with that. Sure, sure. So we just signed a deal with the Major League Baseball Players Association. So we have the rights to put your favorite player's name and signature and number on your tools. So if you like wearing Aaron Judge or Mike Trout on your back, now you can have custom grill tools with their names, their numbers, their signatures. They look terrific and and they play really well. And then you have, of course, I saw this was very cool. You will take someone's bat. So if I have a bat and I love my bat, but it's cracked or it, I want to have it repurposed as a barbecue tool, you can do that. Go, go ahead. Tell us about that. Absolutely. So if you have a bat, your bat, your child's bat that you want to memorialize, you can ship it to us. We'll cut off the handle, put the tool on there, whichever tool you want, engrave it however you want, and you can have it for grilling season. You can have it over the mantle place. Uh, I'm like you. I, I cracked a bat earlier, uh, earlier, I guess, last year, at the end of last year. And as I'm running down to first base, I'm mentally mourning this bat that I loved. And, you know, maybe I should have made it into a tool. It ended up just in a trash can. It would be pretty cool if we were sitting in my grill. That's, that's a great idea to repurpose it as the barbecue tools. It's a fantastic idea. It's what it should have been to begin with, let's face it. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Brett, also, I, I love these tongs that you have. So that was what was missing. You had the spatula, you right. had the fork, but no tongs. And now you've got the tongs. Tell us about and, that. And all of your fans should know that you guys are a big part of the tong story. Because, as you probably know, it's, it's fairly easy to make a fork, right? You're just sticking a fork into the, the bat handle. Now, we have the patent on that and everything, so that's great. But... That's that's it's fairly straightforward to incorporate the the baseball bats into the tongs. We tried a couple different combinations. We had some things that looked sleek, but maybe not so functional. Some were functional, but didn't look right. We brought them to you guys and said, all right, you guys are aficionados. Help us uh, give us a focus group of two here. And the the tool selection that you liked is the one that we made. All right, (laughs) Jeff, we'll. I, I don't even know where to go with that. Well, do we we'll call pack, our lawyers? I mean, we'll pat each other on the back with that. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. No, we're very happy. You are. No, no, you guys, you guys had a 50-50 shot. I mean, you could have been wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you this. Uh, let's get back to the, the baseball players that you have an agreement with. Yeah. Can you do this like for older players or is just like the current players? I mean, if I wanted to like say for Keith Hernandez, would I be able to do that? Or is know. that it covers all, all, all time players? That right? But only current players only current with this players. license. Gotcha. But we're, we're working on some other stuff that hopefully you can have us on in a future show to do Hall of Famers, greats. But as of right now, if you wanted to put, I'm a Phillies fan, you want to put Bryce Harper on there, terrific. You want to put Mickey Moniak on there? I don't know who you are, but <laughs> go ahead, put Mickey Moniak on there. You can't put Mike Schmidt, though. Not yet, huh? Not yet. Not yet. Gotcha. Working and- on that. 
Now, if you put Bryce Harper on, the tool's guaranteed to last for 13 years, right? Because that's <laughs> how long so. he signed the contract for. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Bryce is having a good year for us right now. I'm, I'm happy, although we, we might be better off having a couple of uh, grill forks in center field because our center fielders are giving us no production. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we might say the same thing about our, the New York Mets third baseman. Exactly. But that's, you know. So, Brett, another thing that you guys have with is is beautiful is a cutting board shaped like home plate i love that yeah these things we can't keep them in stock people love them they're beautiful they're made in the usa handmade we'll engrave them with anything you want and as i said people seem to love them you know i i don't know how many how many cutting boards i have in my life probably the last thing i want is another cutting board but this one might be the last cutting board that you want you guys from the start, I remember when you first started out, and now you've got and you have the T-shirts still, and you've got hats, all the oh yeah, and you have um uh, the pig tool, pigtail flipper, the yeah, pigtail, yeah, that's another one, and you got the bottle opener. I mean, it's just it's it's unbelievable. And not only if you want to have your logo engraved onto the bats, right? You put those on, that's right. People's names. You got Father's Day's coming up. Anybody who wants, go go to baseballbbq.com. You can see all the tools. If you want to engrave them with something special, we can do that. If you want to take your cracked bat and have us make it into a tool, you can do that. Cutting boards, hats, shirts. We've been having a lot of fun with it. And the nice thing is it's resonated. Obviously, baseball fans like it. Barbecue people like it. They're functional. They feel terrific in your hand. Step up to the plate with confidence. Absolutely. And I know you also, people can subscribe to your newsletter. You send it out like once a week. So you're not bombarding with people, but to get the latest news on what you guys are doing, I encourage everybody to sign up. Yeah, we've been having some fun. Uh, we've been recording some some video podcasts uh, inspired by you guys, and eventually you're going to roll them out. And so I've been talking to a lot of real professional barbecue people and picked up some tremendous recipes. We're, we're going to have a good season this year. We know anyone that, that gets your tools, I mean, like... We were saying Howard Johnson, former New York Met, has your tools, loves them. So baseballbbq.com. I I know I sound like a shill, but we only, no, we only talk about the tools and we only talk about the products that we really believe in. We've, We've never had anybody on that we don't believe in their product. You guys are the best. We thank you. Brett, we wish you continued success. And we look forward to having you back on talking about more about baseball and your tools. Can't wait. Thank you guys so much for your support. And we'd like to thank Brett for joining us. Check out his website, baseballbbq.com. Sign up for the uh, newsletter. Get that, I think, once a week. Check out his tools. It's great products. And they're they're doing a lot of exciting stuff there. And Jeff, by the way, you do sound great. You... You sound absolutely marvelous. <laughs> Nobody, you. you know what? I just realized nobody's even going to know what that, what, what that impersonation is. But Thank, thank, um, thank, you. thank you very much. <laughs> they should know that one. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, the funny thing is this interview with Stu Thornley that's coming up, we did this prior to me having a decent microphone, you having a decent microphone. The only two people that sound really good in this podcast, in this episode with Stu, is Gary Mack and Stu Thornley. Thankfully, Stu Thornley does most of the talking.
Right. <laughs> and without, without, without further delay, here's Stu Thornley and Gary Mack. Baseball and BBQ is pleased to have with us Stu Thornley. Stu is involved in many areas of baseball, including official scorer and author. Some of his books include Minnesota Twins Baseball, Hardball History on the Prairie, The St. Paul Saints, Baseball in the Capital City, Land of the Giants, New York Polo Grounds, and among many others. He's an official scorer for the Minnesota Twins and an online gamecaster. Stu also does official scoring for the Minnesota Timberwolves basketball games and is an active member of the Society of American Baseball Research. Welcome to Baseball BBQ, Stu Thornley. Thanks, Jeff. Hi, guys. Hey, Stu. Stu, let's get started. You're the official scorer for the Minnesota Twins. How does one get a job like that? I just sometimes it's being in the right place at the right time, although people will contact us and ask about it. And I say just do official scoring wherever you have the chance. If your local college team needs a score, whatever teams are in town, we've got the Northwoods League around here. One of our scorers uh, is a, was the official scorer for a Northwoods League team in Rochester. He's a Mayo Clinic doctor, a gynecologist, by the way. Uh, not that we ever make any wise cracks about that because we're all very serious. And he wanted to shadow us. Uh, Greg Wong is the other official scorer and, and me. And I think he was hoping in the course of doing that that there might be an opportunity for him. And there was. So just taking advantage of opportunities. But uh, doing scoring and getting some experience, knowing the rules, I tell people to officiate on the field, umpire or work any sport where you're going to have to get experience in being decisive and also being told you're wrong all the time because that's a part of the job and holding up to that sort of thing. Since we started off right, official scorer, I wanted to ask you about that, obviously. Um, you ever regret a scoring decision that you made? It, it happens, and I can think back, and I remember them. You know, I think I remember all of the calls I made that were not just real clear-cut calls, and I can think back, on, and sometimes it might be the next day saying, gee, if I had that one back, I'd do it over again. But some of them are going back to when I started, say 2007, where I might look at, at the player or remember it and say, wow, I called that thing an error? I wouldn't call that an error now. And part of that's, I think, it's a, it's a bunch of stuff. One is just you, you hope you're getting better over time, that you're developing more of a refined eye for seeing different things in a play. But a big part of it is that since 2012, scores have been, been getting together in New York every year. And among other things, we can look at a lot of plays. Uh, so, you know, there's all these plays. We call them the 50-50s. They could go either way. And as we look at plays, we can zero in and standardize how we're calling it. So that's, I guess, one of the things is before we started doing this, and I can think of some calls that I made that uh, I'd say, gee, now that I see it differently or that we've talked about it as a group, I, I wouldn't call it that same way now. If you get a, a uh, close call, what what's the defining point i mean we all know what you know an error on a ground ball a guy kicks it or whatever but you're more involved in it what, what's the defining point what's the fine point that you look for in a, in a replay well the first thing is to make a decision in in my head 
what my first reaction is. So it's a hard grounder to the shortstop that he doesn't come up with. And am I thinking, boy, that play seemed kind of tough? Or that, that my first reaction is that's an error? And especially if I'm thinking error, I probably will then look at the replay. We've got, I've got a monitor next to me, and I keep it on about a seven-second delay. So it's real nice that I see the play, I make a decision in my head, and then I can just turn my head and look at the monitor. And I don't even have to wait for all of the other replays that the TV is going to show, see if there's anything that would cause me to change that decision. But uh, the, how hard it is, and a lot of our scores don't really like the, the exit velocity that's out there right now. Uh, and, well, and I agree with them that we can see how hard a ball is hit. We do the eye test on it. But sometimes it's kind of nice to have a number to go with that. Or if nothing else, I might look after after the inning. Or Now this stuff is coming up on the scoreboard immediately, too. And I don't necessarily try to let that influence me. But sometimes if I'm thinking, yeah, that thing was looked like a tough play, pretty hard hit, short hop. And then I look up and I see it was hit at 108 miles an hour. It makes it a lot easier to say, okay, that's I'm sticking with my thought of, of a hit. And if nothing else... I sometimes will jot down what the speed of a grounder is in case I get challenged on it afterwards, and I can say, you know, it wasn't hit that hard, uh, it's uh, or it was, and and so we talk too about how many steps does an infielder have to take going one way or the other, you know, on the throws uh, where, where an infielder's having to hustle on it and making a throw on the run. What's the arm slot? Is he coming up from a very from fielding at low and having to come up from a very low arm slot? So those are the kinds of things that we talk about that I say I, I think gives us all a more refined eye and seeing different things in the plays. I found it fascinating that how analytics now not only influences the game, but also, you know, you, you say that official scoring, not, not that it influences you, but you can tell if it's, it's a hard hit or, 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 or not, it might change your scoring. Well, sometimes it's just nice to have, I, I, you don't have to use it, and, but to see a number to go with what you just saw. You said that things hit really hard. One time, I didn't, didn't have to make a, a decision on this play, but Miguel Sano was playing third base, and there was a really hard hit. It wasn't a short hop. You know, if those things are short hop that you got to try to play, that's different. But, you know, it took a few bounces, but you could see the thing was the ground ball to him was really smoked. And it was just one of those hot potatoes, or what you'd say, too hot to handle. And he fumbled it. Well, he picked it up in time and threw it first, got the runner out. And I'm thinking, good, because, I mean, the ball was right at him. He did, it wasn't even off to one side or the other. You know, shouldn't the guy be able to field it? And But then I looked, and, and this was when the exit velocity wouldn't come up right away. You'd have to, you know, wait a few seconds and see it on the computer. And it was 118 miles an hour. And I said, okay, you know, my, my thinking was that was just too hot to handle cleanly and when I see a 118 that goes with it I know it's not just my eyes that are fooling me that thing was really smoked and then then maybe for the next time if I see a grounder hit that hard and it's fumbled it a little bit uh, I, I might feel more secure in saying a hit that that thing was just hit hit too hard for somebody you know even when it's right at them and stays down on them to be able to come up with. Stu there are some players when they're up at bat, where the umpire will 
be more lenient with balls and strikes because the, the batter has such a reputation for having such a sharp eye. And so maybe they get the benefit of a call. Do you have any situation where you might judge a player differently because of who the player is on a play? Yeah, well, we try not to for a fielder because, and, and that even means if there's an infielder who's playing in the outfield and messes something up, and people will say he's playing out of position. And I said, well, we're judging him against the, the average left fielder, not against the third baseman who got stuck out there in left field. But I try to not, and, you know, you'll get it sort of both ways. The second year I was on the job, it was 2008, and there was a ground ball that got by Scott Rowland of Toronto. And I'm well familiar with Scott Rowland, I guess. I hadn't realized, though, that he had all these gold gloves in the National League. You know, I mean, I, he was with the Cardinals, and I definitely knew him, as, especially as a good hitter. Uh, and I got it both ways from... Well, in that case, were you holding Roland to a higher standard because he's a gold glover? And I said, well, no, because I didn't even know he had that many gold gloves in the National League. But on the other hand, you'll get people who will just say, well, the guy's just not good enough to make that play, as, as though that means you shouldn't call an error on him. No, that's not really the case either. So, you know, no matter who it is as a batter, you know, you definitely try to keep your mind out of things if the guy's going for a league lead and something like that. I try, sometimes I intentionally try to stay ignorant on that because I don't want it influencing me. But with fielders too, no, it's, uh, you know, and for outfielders, the great ones, they cover a lot of ground. And they, they might, I think Jackie Bradley got an error few years ago on something that he had really raised from left center to right center to get but then he dropped the ball he was no other outfielder maybe Byron Buxton or something would have gotten there but most other outfielders wouldn't have been near it but he did get there and put himself in a position to get an error and that's for outfielders that's how I always look at it that sometimes they take a bad route and they get turned around they get messed up you know and they 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 mess it up and they don't get an error. If they, but if they do a good job getting to the ball and then just drop it, then they do get an error. But I'm, I'm looking at that point on, are they in a good position to make the catch? Are they twisting? Are they in control? And sometimes that means that they are in a good position to get there just because they've got so much speed. And I, I, I've shown a video of Danny Santana of the Twins dropping a fly ball and, and you know when you show it to people I say I say anybody want to argue that's not an error nobody does because it was so clear cut but I thought uh, Justin Upton of the Tigers had hit it and when the ball came off the bat I thought gee that might be in the corner that looks like trouble well no there's Santana he's done a really good job getting to the ball and then he drops it and I checked in the catch probability which might be a really effective thing for determining fielding ability means nothing to us because the catch probability on that was under 50%. It would have been, if he had made it, I think it would have been judged as a four-star catch, but he gets an error on it. So that's what one of the things I say is we, we can ignore catch probability for our purposes. For others uh, making evaluations, it, it might be great, but we're still looking at what is the position of that fielder at the time that the ball reaches them. I was just curious the uh, the difference in the move of the stadiums going from a dome stadium to an outdoor stadium. How did that change your 
how you watched the game and and was there really any difference overall to uh, how you not how you score the game but you know just viewing the game itself well going from the artificial turf at the metrodome to grass at target field i liked it because i'd rather i'd really rather have to make decisions on ground balls when it's on grass where if it takes a bad hop you're at least going to see it and the the turf at the metrodome and we would get complaints from the players that we can't see how much how tricky that grounder is because it's skipping off the turf it's shooting it's doing all of this and at least with with regular grass you can see it i know one time that what what I thought was and others thought was a pretty routine error ground ball. It was to Adrian Beltre of Seattle, missed right at him. I think a two hopper. It wasn't hit that hard, and he, he fumbled it. And the batter was unhappy that he didn't get a hit, and the coaches were unhappy. And the team per- official came to me and said, they, "They say that ball skips. You can't see it from up there." Well, first of all, I can't. You're right. I can't see it from the press box. But I said, "Well, would they?" want me to come down during batting practice and watch it there and and, and they said yeah and I, and I said well they want me to bring a glove they can hit grounders to me <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Dustin Morris of the twins their, their communications guy real real good person he said well yeah you know they did mention that so before the next game I showed up I didn't go down on the field all but I had it I had my bag I had my glove I had my spikes I had gym shorts of course I had a nut cup and they <laughs> They decided not to hit grounders, Jimmy. One of the things is that they'd be hitting fungos, and, you know, it's a little bit different. One of the coaches said, man, I'd need an air cannon to hit it, hit it as hard as, as he hit it the other night. But I, I just, if nothing else, I thought, I'm showing my face. You want to talk to me? You want to complain to me? You want to mentor me? You know, and I'll, I'll listen. And, and one of the coaches finally was talking to me, and it was kind of helpful, but I thought the bigger thing of it was just a real, little relationship building thing. Mm-hmm. Could you explain to what, what, what data casting is? I guess it's online uh, baseball? Yeah, so if you go to game day on the MLB.com site, and you might have it as an app on your phone, or you can just call up the MLB site and, and click on game day, and I've been doing that, well, since before MLB.com had it, since 98. It was total sports at the time. And, of course, this was without all the real fancy stuff. But now, well, they've got all the StatCast info in there. But And I think the Metrodome was one of the first places, and I don't remember which year, 2004, where they got to install the cameras for the pitch track, for the pitching. So... You'll see all sorts of things if you want to enhance it for, you know, the speed of the pitch, the break of the pitch. I think they might have spin rate on it. Well, I'm not doing anything with that. I'm just marking, was it a called strike, a swinging strike, foul ball, a ball, a ball blocked in the dirt? If it's put into play, I'm just, well, in fact, that that's automatically noting where the ball was hit. And then if it was hit to the second baseman and he throws them out, then I would I would just be... Uh, well, it used to be we type in 4-3 dash or slash G for ground ball. Now we're doing a little bit more mouse clicking to click on it. The batter was out. It was a ground ball. And I can either type in the 4-3 to three for it or just we do a couple mouse clicks. So the, the entry from us in the press box is just pitch by pitch, play by play. 
and of course it's with with all of the radar camera based analytics that they have to go with it you get a heck of a lot more out of watching it if you're interested in that level of detail do we had a, an announcer in new york famous announcer probably a lot more famous as a baseball player, Phil Rizzuto, who growing up, I thought, had coined the phrase, holy cow. <laughs> Turns out, apparently, that he didn't. And well, we have we have a broadcaster here in town who goes back before Phil Rizzuto, Halsey Hall, and our Society for American Baseball Research chapter is named after Halsey. And I did, I did a biography on it, and I just at least pointed out that he was saying it before Rizzuto would have been in the broadcast booth. Uh, of course, you know, everybody can still, uh, you know, argue it. And, and one of the things is that Halsey was doing it for a minor league team, the Minneapolis Millers. And then it got to be between Rizzuto and Harry Carey, you know, on who was using it first for the major league team. But uh, we're, we're proud of Halsey Hall around here. So when that that one comes up, we like to point out that Halsey was, was doing it before any of the others. <laughs> You've written a lot of publications and a lot of things, and one of the things is on the Minneapolis, the Minneapolis Millers, which which had a lot of Hall of Famers. Come yeah, from they were a great team, and they were. Well, I was five years old when they played their last game, and I was about two months old when they played their last game at Nicollet Park. I sure knew all about Nicollet Park. I would hear about it from my dad, my mom, who. My mom lived about six blocks away from that as she was growing up. My dad was an usher there, but from Halsey Hall, because he was, by this time, uh, the, the color analyst on Twins broadcast, and that's what I grew up on. A great broadcast team with, with Herb Carneal, and then for a number of years, Ray Scott, and I think Ray Scott is as great a sports announcer as, as there ever was and and uh, so I'd hear the stories from Halsey and I think it was more the interest because I've got the interest in the ballparks uh, my interest in Nicollet Park that eventually got me into the overall interest of, of the Minneapolis Millers and I was aware of some of the great players Willie Mays, Ted Williams, Carl Yastrzemski and and so I started researching that became fascinated by it there's others uh, Rube Waddell and, and Monty Irvin and players like that so there's Something like 15, 16 Hall of Famers who played with the Millers. I think Orlando Cepeda may have been the last one to be elected to the Hall of Fame out of that bunch. And they were a good team, and they had the rivalry with the St. Paul Saints. And the Saints played at Lexington Park, which was about the same age as Nicollet Park, uh, another great old old ballpark. The Saints had they, – they were uh, Brooklyn – farm team for a while so they had they, they had Roy Campanella and Duke Snyder Walter Alston managed them and of course now it's interesting it was it was kind of known I guess for the last few weeks but it became official yesterday that the Twins are going to affiliate with the current St. Paul Saints team which isn't is separate from the historic one that ended in 1960 when Major League Baseball came to the area but I, I was looking at it trying to find if if there were any teams with an affiliate closer than that I, I drove the distance between the ballparks on Sunday came out to 10.4 miles and of course the first thing that's coming up to me is, is when the Giants had AAA team in addition to Minneapolis and Jersey City and the Yankees were in Newark and as I've been trying to do a map quest and you know look at what the you know if you go through the uh Lincoln Tunnel and take the most direct route, that still seems to be about 15 to 20 miles 
between those ballparks. So uh, it, it, it's going to be interesting. I've been reading some of the comments from both the teams. Saints are promising not to change their atmosphere. The Twins are saying, no, we're not going to tone them down. If anything, some of the fun antics that they do at Saints games might make their way to Target Field. As Gary knows, Brooklyn and uh, City Field is what, Gary, 20 miles? Uh, something like that, yeah. They're, they're fairly close, but they're not AAA, so. Well, I was and looking like that, too. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, depending on you know, how, how long to get there. Yeah, but I think I even <laughs> did a, uh, I just did a City Field to Coney Island, and, and I mean, it, it looks close together on a map, but, the, but New York's huge. Yeah, I mean, right. it looks close together between Minneapolis and St. Paul, because the downtowns are about nine miles apart. Uh, and, and then I also did the Yankees and Staten Island, even though they won't have Staten Island anymore. And, and that would be, well equally about 20 miles and that's with the most direct route of taking the ferry as well if you take the the, the narrows bridge it's going to be longer so but you know i guess it, it makes sense for all teams especially with their high affiliates to to be close now you know i never know they could be uh the saint paul team could be on the road when they want to call somebody up but on the other hand it might be nine miles away they they call somebody maybe he lives in the midway area of st paul and instead of driving five miles east they call him and he drives five miles west to target field uh, i was looking at the other teams that have that advantage boston will still have it even though Pawtucket is not their farm team but worcester's probably about the same distance and that's farther than 10 miles about maybe 40 45 and Seattle was Tacoma. That maybe that was one of the easiest jaunts. If they, they, I, I think that they, um, when I was at the new field in Seattle when it just opened, and they had a guy who was getting shuttled between the majors and minors so much. I said, this, this guy should get a place in Federal Way, which was midway between Tacoma and and Seattle. But uh, convenient for the players too. You don't have to pack up and move when you get sent down to the minors. Well, we uh, as Met fans here, we we know that you know how bad it can be when there's a distance. When the Mets were in Las Vegas and needed to call somebody up in the travel, you know it was it was not good. Now at least they're in Syracuse for mm-hmm. their AAA, and that'll be uh, quicker. But uh, I was wondering, how do you feel about all of this shakeup with the minor league baseball and the the cut down of the minor league? Minor leagues completely, the reduction of the entire short season schedule and, and uh, all of that. Yeah, I, I guess it's going to get filled in in different ways. You know, I was thinking back about a year ago because we knew it was coming and we knew that the teams were going to go from about 160 down to 120. And really it lops off the short A and I guess the rookie league. And I just figure, well, I'm, I'm sure the independent leagues are going to be getting more teams and having a role with that. And I see that they're also doing these what they're calling partner leagues. Of course, Trenton just got dumped out of that. That was a tough one. They got a nice ballpark mm-hmm. there, Eastern League, good league. Uh, and they're going to be – that's not a partner league. The Pioneer League is going to be a partner league. What are they – development league is that it that Trenton yeah. is going to be in yeah I think so, so yeah. looking a little bit more at at I suppose you know obviously they love efficiency and efficiency is good in some ways but we all know the costs of efficiency and we're going to be seeing that I'm hoping that at least the, the towns that have had their teams are still going to have 
some kind of team, whether it's an independent team or, or something like that. But, uh, you know, in Minnesota, what we have, too, that's very big is, is town ball. It's, it's adult amateur baseball. It's not American Legion. It's adults and there's like 300 teams, and, and so many of them around the state have just got their they got their own ballpark. It's not like they go play at the high school field. And it's just a great thing for traveling around to see, but for those communities to have that, too, it's big. And, and it's larger places, whether it's, you know, Burlington, Iowa or something. I guess they'll still have a team. But what, what are some of the leagues that are going to, you know, the, the Northwest League, that's a short season, A, Boise and Eugene. I'm not sure what's going to happen with that. I hope. I don't know if you guys go back to the the loss of National League baseball in New York, but when when a, a city loses its team, that's that's a huge loss to the people who are big fans. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. maybe some people are more fans of a different sport, but for for anyone who's a big fan of the team, we lost the Minnesota North Stars in 1993, and certainly there's a lot of hockey fans here. That was a huge hole, and we got another team. We've you know, there's been talk of losing the twins at times now they've got target field so that's safe and yeah i feel bad for for montreal now it's i've been up there and been to games and hoping it somehow works out that montreal gets a team but also the minor league cities and places where i've gone and and been to games in kenosha wisconsin at a great old ballpark and seeing how much the people there enjoyed the team, and they don't have they don't have a minor league or a professional team. I think they've got one in, in the Northwoods League, which is a pretty good, not on a par with the, the Cape Cod League, but it, it developed into a really good uh, wood bat college summer league. And they've got another one out east where I think they train umpires. It's you know the umpires coming out of the two academies in Florida, and they're not one that I know is uh, Emma Charlesworth Sealer. She's from here. And I got to know her. She came up to me one time and wanted to shadow me as an official scorer. So she came to some games and then worked her way into umpiring. So when I think it was in 2017, her first year, rookie league, Gulf Coast League, and then short season A League, Northwest League. She was in the Midwest League in 2019. We got to get on and see her umpire. She was going to be in Carolina League in last year, and, and she's not sure where she'll be. But So now some of those leagues are gone. But uh, I, I was talking with Dusty Dellinger because I'm doing a profile on Emma. And, and Dusty was saying, yeah, the, there's two women who are in, he told me what the name of the league is. It's College Woodbat League. But the umpires are being supplied straight out of the academies because they don't just have a rookie league to go to anymore. So they're going to mm-hmm. be, you know, you got to have player development. You have to have umpire development too. Sure. Mm-hmm. You talked about your travels, and I see you were the official scorer for the World Baseball Classic Games in Guadalajara, and you also have been to Cuba. Could you talk about those experiences? Yeah, in, in Cuba, we went on a baseball trip. I wasn't doing any any work, stat work, or scoring. That was a terrific trip. Kit Krieger out of Vancouver has been. We went on the first one in two thousand one, and Kit has led a baseball tour to Cuba uh, every year since. The the Guadalajara the, the 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 World Baseball Classic was really something. And the one thing the games were long. They were long. They were wild. They, some were pretty exciting. I I was getting sensory overload. Certainly the game, the final game. Well, there was a tiebreaker game, but 
was kind of to determine who was going to make it into that tiebreaker between Mexico and Venezuela. And the, just the, the crowd and, and everything there. And Mexico had uh, Adrian Gonzalez. Italy was there, too, with a lot of major leaguers. But, gee, that Venezuela and Puerto Rico team that were down there, you, you know, we've got Hall of Famers on that from Salvador Perez and, and Altuve and Miguel Cabrera. And Felix Hernandez pitched. And one, one thing about the pitching, you know, they're on limits of about 50 pitches, so you're not really going to see that much. And then Puerto Rico with Correa and Lindor and Javier Baez, and some really, really good games. And my, my wife speaks Spanish, so they had her working to be the press box translator. You know, and, and normally at the, at the ballpark, we've got a microphone that we announce a hitter in air. And she was in a, we were in separate locations, but I would get to her what I was calling it. And then for the people in the press box, she could announce it in, in English and in Spanish. So that was, that was a terrific experience. And I don't know when they're going to play it again. I don't know if I'll get asked to go go somewhere. I'd, I'd love to. Do you have something that I actually uh, enjoy myself? You have an obsession with graveyards. Is that and you, uh, and you do too, Len, huh? Okay. Yeah, I, I, I like to go look at the old stones. and mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> I can't explain it. But apparently it's it's something that uh, we, we had a guest on who, Ralph Carhart, he wrote... Uh, oh, absolutely. Uh, Great, right? yes. So you also go to, well, you go to graveyards and you look for uh, presidents, right? Former presidents. Presidents, Hall of Famers, right. Manson victims, quirky stuff. You know? <laughs> well, you know, people like you, Len, you, you, you can enjoy cemeteries in so many different ways. One is just the peace and serenity of them, but looking for the old stones and, and doing different things, enjoying the the architecture of the grave markers. And I got going about, I went to my first Hall of Fame grave when we went to Hawaii in 95, and just on the itinerary, I put Alexander Cartwright's grave on it. And I, I got to, later that year, I got to Babe Ruth's grave uh, and uh, enjoyed seeing all the offerings on it. But a couple of years later, because, you know, there's a lot of people. We're not really that as weird as we think we are as people. Think. <laughs> there's a lot of people who do this kind of stuff. And right. One of my traveling buddies in our sports group, the guys who would go around, he, he liked it too. So on our sports trips, we were going to all types of grades, but certainly the presidents and the Hall of Famers. And I, I guess I, I think I've completed the Hall of Fame group a couple of times. Of course, they, they keep dying. So And right now, man, I'm probably 8 to 10 that I haven't been to. We've had a big... There's quite a year. Six Hall of Famers died this year. Yes, yeah, six. Uh, and 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 I think uh, you know I, I I got current again at one point, and that was after they had the induction of sixteen Negro Leaguer pre Negro Leaguers, and all of them were dead. And I had been to a couple already. I met Ralph one time. He's been so helpful because Cristobal Torriente is still kind of up in the air if he's buried in Cuba, and we had been to that cemetery and those monuments that have the graves in it. And, and, and Ralph had been on a later trip to Cuba, but he had told me that he found that Torriente was buried in Woodlawn Cemetery in Queens. Just, you know, you, you always, you know, always go by it if I'm going from LaGuardia into Manhattan. So we were coming in for the official score meetings and he said he would meet me there. And so we had the cab from JFK. I was hoping this guy just wouldn't think it was, 
too weird or that he's going to get. I said, can we, we need to go to Manhattan, but can we stop at a cemetery? <laughs> and he did it. And I know they, and Ralph was there and he took us to Torrienti's grave. And uh, I just remember it was a pretty high cab fare, which I was expecting. I also tipped the driver. He was real good about it too. But yeah, Ralph, I've got his book and, you know, and his mission wasn't just, you know, it's not that tough to get to them when they're dead. You know, you might have to go out of your way a little bit, but they don't move on you. But he had that hall ball that he uh, he got. He had a few that just wouldn't do it. But to to get to the, all the living ones and get them to agree to hold the ball for a picture, what Ralph did was really incredible. It was amazing. Yeah, they don't make good interviews, you know. <laughs> oh, some of them, uh, you never know. Some of them... Uh, some of them might be better than uh, than the, the the live ones that Ralph had to deal with. Yeah. This is true. This is true. <laughs> so you must have been in our neighborhood because we have a Hall of Famer buried not too far from Lennon, I and Gary in Uniondale, oh, John Montgomery sure. Ward. Yeah, yeah, Ward. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, we did kind of a circuit. Brenda and I went out for the weekend. Yankees and Red Sox were playing, and we. Um, I think we went into Albany and we were doing presidents, you know, get over to Vermont for Calvin Coolidge and, and down through Connecticut. And then I think we got up real, real early. We were staying, uh, maybe been staying on Waterbury, Connecticut. And uh, it was a Friday. So, you know, it's still going to be a traffic day. So I wanted to get into, we're on to Long Island early. So I, I guess we would have taken the, the Throgs Neck Bridge over and Teddy Roosevelt is buried up in Oyster, yep. Oyster Bay. I had to climb the fence. It wasn't open yet. And then we <laughs> swung around. But, yeah, we, we got uh, John Montgomery Ward in Uniondale and then into Brooklyn to do Jackie Robinson and some others. We went to a couple of games at Yankee Stadium. And then on the final day, I think we worked our way back up the Hudson to Albany to be stopping at others on the way. So we got a lot of lot in that time presidents hall of famers a couple of yankees red sox games i thought that'd be kind of interesting with the rivalry and there was sort of a level of ugliness in the stadium at that <laughs> point um you know with more f-bombs than usual than and you usually do hear a lot in new york right <laughs> well, well Stu, you named you had uh two kittens which you named one jeter and one a-rod so can yes. i assume and in a Boston uh, Yankee rivalry, who you root for? Yeah, yeah, that would be it. You, you got it. And so I know you guys are Mets fans, and I got nothing against the Mets. But and Arod is not with us anymore. But uh, the cat we got for him is named Mickey. I'm surprised uh-huh. we really didn't go with Mickey before, because you know, to me, Mickey, Mickey is it. It's not even Jeter or Arod or any of that. It's it's the Mick. So we we and Jeter's still with us. He's doing pretty well he's getting up there in years and mickey's still a little younger and and feisty so we do have mickey and mickey and jeter now could you talk about you, you the books you've authored i mean I, i've seen a couple of baseball books but you've done quite a you have quite a collection of books under your wing there yeah well it's the first book i did which came out in 88 was on the minneapolis millers the minor league baseball team and the next one was on the lakers and 
really focusing more on the years in Minneapolis because they won six league titles. The NBA will recognize only five of them and had George Mike and the greatest player. And, mm-hmm. and that, that was what was great about that was that so many of these players were still in town or at least accessible to talk to by phone and getting to know them. And, and these were players, you know, you can't, if you go back to the beginning of Major League Baseball, well, you know, <laughs> they're all dead. But going back to what is really the beginning of Major League Basketball is post-World War II. And people like Mike and Vern Mickelson, Jim Pollard I talked to on the phone. He was out in California, being able to get to know those guys. And then I did the biography in Halsey Hall. And, and then it just uh, is, is into different things. Uh, got an opportunity to write children's biographies. And I've done more of that. When I tell people I, I write, if I refer to the non-children's books that I write and I say adult books, I realize that has a little different connotation. <laughs> and may, maybe I should because, you know, boy, I could, uh, those would probably really take off. But uh, the adult <laughs> books, I don't know, it's it's most, it's been more on local Minnesota history, which is, I, I like doing that. It makes kind of more of a splash, you know, it's not going to make the splash across the country, but it's easier to make a splash with it just locally. I, I did a book, uh, Baseball in Minnesota, in about 2004, and in fact, we're just updating that right now that was sort of all-encompassing on it. And my wife and I, we weren't yet married. We discovered if we could uh, do a book together, we could probably handle marriage. And it was on ele- the uses of electricity in medicine. And it, it kind of came up, the children's publisher was looking to do something like that and wanted to be able to talk to Earl Bakken, the founder of Medtronic. And, well, I, I really, I think anybody could have just called up and he would have been open to it, but I had a connection to it. So next thing I know, they're saying, you, you want to do the book? Yeah, okay. And, and my wife is much more science-minded than I am, so we co-authored that. And I guess the only other non-sports book I've done is, it's called Six Feet Under, and it's on graves of notable Minnesotans. So I had fun for about a year learning a lot of history. I mean, we know the politicians, Hubert Humphrey or Bronco Nagurski in football or West Westrom is, you know, buried up in northwestern Minnesota. We still don't have any baseball Hall of Famers in Minnesota. We might, but I don't know if I'll still be around when that happens. But but learning a lot of history and from all aspects of it of, and then getting around the state. But it is more mainly sports books, mainly baseball books that are, are more specific to Minnesota. As we wrap up, Gary, do you have anything else? No, I'm good. Thank you. <laughs> Len? I do. Okay. I do. So this is a little uh, different than what we've been discussing. But you have, if you go to stewthornley.net and your your history your is amazing i i can only say that i, I reading about you i was like wow this <laughs> i don't even know where you know we could there's so many different directions to go in but one of the things that i found was extremely interesting was your dad was uh in a german prisoner of war camp during world war ii yeah and it was stalag 17 the one that they made the movie off of i st- I think I started that website in 2000. It goes off into all directions, but it becomes a good repository for for the research about the Millers. And I've got things like every 
game by game, every game the Millers have ever played. I've got pages for our cats, pages on the graves. So I made it was two pages on my dad. He was a gunner on a B-17 who was shot down in December 43 and in occupied Holland, but so captured and ended up in Stalag 17. And it's Donald Bevan and Edmund Trzynski were the ones who wrote the play that became the movie Stalag 17. My dad knew them, and some of the things that ha- happened in the movie were kind of based on real things. And my dad had, for a book that never did happen, but the author got him to fill out a questionnaire. And I had heard the stories from my dad and should have been writing them down or recording it. So we were fortunate that somebody that, that somebody uh, did that for us. And so I had that and I made a web page out of it with the questions and answers that my dad provided and also some writing and things that he he wrote up on it and then um a separate page well the the greatest keepsake i have is a small bible my dad had with him on that mission and you know the plane went down he parachuted out and it was in about 1950 that it came back to him in the mail Uh, somebody in holland a man had planes coming down around him and this bible lands at his feet and, he, you know, he hit it. The Germans were there. And it took him a number of years. Um, and I, I, and, but he sent it to my dad with a letter. And this, this author who was going to be doing the book, he never did the book. But when he was over in this coastal town in, in the Netherlands where my dad had been captured, he went to this person's house. This, this guy was dead, but his widow was there and I, I guess she remembered it and she sent back some things from their town for my mom so I have the Bible and the letter and I've got a picture of both in the um, on the website so yeah thank you for plugging that it's you, you never know what kind of what direction it goes off into and that that Bible is a special Bible I not it's obviously special for the significance but didn't it have like a special metal outside? Yeah, that's what it was because they were, I think they were selling them stateside. It might have been my dad's sister who sent this to him. And it was, and it was a small Bible. It's just, it wasn't as big as normal, but it had a metal plate in it. And, you know, you'd send it to your loved one overseas and he would wear it over his heart. And, and my dad said that that, day he normally did you know he had coveralls with pockets on him and he opened his locker that day and his coveralls were gone and he grabbed another pair that didn't have pockets so he said that he had he just had the bible at his feet well you know now when the plane gets shot down you're not thinking about that so it flew out with a with a plane so yeah i'm trying to have to look to see if that plate was still in there when it came back i thought it was i have it i have it in my downstairs office i'll have to look that's amazing. Yes, absolutely. Stu, uh, as we wrap up, do you have anything you want to, uh, any social media, if people want to get in contact with you, obviously go on to your website, stuthonly.net. Yeah, yeah if anybody wants to, that'd be great. And then there's links to an email. And, you know, I'm 
If my name were Jeff Cohen, I'm sure there's one or two more of those people in the world. There's only one Stu Thornley. So people usually, it's not too hard. You can Google or anything like that. I'm pretty easy to track down, love talking to talking to people. And so, uh, you know, great. That, that's probably the best way to do it. I, I'm on Twitter, but I don't, I don't tweet much, but I'm on it. Well, we love talking to you, Stu. I, I mean, yeah. Sorry that you know that we have to end this because we only, as they say, we only scratch the surface. Yeah, well, I, I enjoy it. This is what I enjoy doing, and you know, and what's been come about in the last few months is a lot of people are learning how to use Zoom, and I've been enjoying both, you know, being on something like this. But Jeff and I were on the New York Giants Preservation Society; they're doing weekly meetings via Zoom, and. It's great to get together in person, but on the other hand, I've been staying kind of busy. There's a lot of good stuff out there, such as such as as, as the baseball and barbecue too. That helps us when we complain about having to get cabin fever and all that. Well, there's things like this to be spending our time. Well, thank you. Thanks to Gary Mack for joining us. Thanks, Gary. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And, and thanks again, Stu. We really enjoyed it. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Stu. See you later. Jeff, sometimes you have someone on and you think you're going to talk about one specific thing and, and it just goes in so many different directions. Mm-hmm. So the guy is a writer. Stu Thornley writes. He's the official scorer. He visits the cemeteries. He visits the cemeteries. And then his, to, to talk about his father. And, and I mean, it just you didn't I, I didn't expect everything that that interview gave us and i i am really pleasantly surprised really great guest and of course to have gary mack on with us who just adds his own you know his own style to it Mm -hmm. he also has just been a great help to us we know that so thankful that that we had them on and you know what jeff that's it's unfortunate but episode 91 is is over it's a wrap yeah and how do we wrap it? How do we wrap it? Go ahead, Len. We wrap it with the poet, Shel Krakowski, the musician, Dave Dresser, and the song, Baseball Always Brings You Home. Everybody, we'll see you on episode 92. Thanks for listening. See ya.
Time inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.